So we're going to continue with our series that we started last, uh, last week. If you were with us, you know that we started our relationship series that I am just really, really, really pumped about. Um, I feel like God is speaking in a real major way. Um, and just some of the feedback from folks and talking about how God is speaking to them and how they really need, honestly, to focus on relationships and having healthier, better relationships. And the, 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 the theme of our entire series, right, is healthy, uh, healthy healing and whole relationships. The goal is that in God, we can have healthy, healing, and whole relationships. And last week, if you weren't with us, I'll quickly dive into what our points were last week so you can get an understanding, right? The first thing that we came to the understanding was is that humans are created and were created to be in close relationship with one another. That we thrive when we are in beneficial, intimate relationships with other human beings. That's what God intended for us. That was his actual intention, for us to be close and intimate with each other. And as believers, we are called to relationships. That's what we said, right? You are called to be in relationship with people if you are a believer. It's not negotiable. We also learn that when we are in relationships, it gives us a glimpse of what it means for us to experience God's love or for other people to experience God's love. Remember, we talked about this last week. If you can't love someone on earth, how is it possible for you to love a God that you can't see? And also, if you are growing in Christ and you are growing in faith, as you grow in maturity... The sign of that, the fruit of that, is that you are able to love and be in healthy relationship with other people. I can't call myself a Christian and, and I'm walking with God if I'm unable to be in healthy or unwilling, rather, to be in, uh, uh, in, in healthy, healing, whole relationships with other people. And when we are in godly relationships with other people, healthy relationships... It helps reshape us, it helps refine us, and make us more into the image of Christ and who God wants us to be. That's where we were last week, okay? So this week, as we dive into the message, we are going to take a deeper look into this notion of relationships, specifically that closeness that we talked about, right? We, many of us, go on and want to find relationships of substance. And what I mean by that is, Relationships that fulfill us, relationships that renew us, that benefit us, that grow us, that transform us. Relationships aren't a one-way street, and you know that. If you want your relationship to work, it has to be a two-way street. And I'm going to use a word today as we, as we dive through it, if we want relationships to work. The, the, the word is symbiotic. Symbiotic, so if you know what symbiotic is, you know the symbiote, you know, venom. We are venom. If you watch that TV show, uh, the cartoon, or, or read, the, read the comics, you know venom became venom because of the symbiote. And the thing about a symbiote is it thrives off of life. It's not a parasite. It gives life, and it also takes energy. It gives energy. It takes energy. There's a mutual transfer, right? There's a mutual transfer. It can't survive without the thing that it is connected to, and the thing that it is connected to cannot survive without it. That's a symbiotic relationship. In order for a relationship to work, it must be symbiotic between two people. 
You must be bringing life to that relationship. You must be bringing health and vitality to that relationship. And that relationship has to do the reverse. It must also bring life and health and vitality to you. That doesn't mean that it's always equal. Anyone that tells you all relationships are equal is, I don't want to say lying to you. They may have a misconception of what relationships are. We want to have equality in our relationships. We want to have 50-50. But there are times where sometimes it's 60-40. Sometimes it's 70-30. Sometimes, because of what someone's going through, it could be like a 90-10. But the truth is, is the person willing to put in 100%, even if there's things that they're going through right now, right? That's, that's what we want to define as, as, as mutual, as a mutual partnership or mutual friendship, mutual relationship. That's what makes relationships real. And that's where a lot of us struggle. A lot of us struggle because we want real relationships, but for whatever the reason, it evades us. Or we start with relationships that we feel are going to be authentic, that we feel are going to be something that we need, that we feel is going to be mutual or symbiotic, only to realize that something happens and boom, it's not like that. The relationship is not it's what it's cracked out to be. I believe this happens because we have poor criteria, low standards, in how we gauge relationships when they first start or how we venture through them. You need to have healthy, a healthy gauge or healthy criteria or healthy understanding of what it means to be in real relationship with people. There needs to be a real thing, real tangible things that you are looking for as you navigate through friendships, through family relationships, through, through platonic relationships, through romantic relationships, through co-worker relationships. You need to be able to see real things because if you can see things that can be checked off as marks, right, it increases the likelihood of blessing and benefit to both you and the person you're in relationship with. So the title of today's message is called Real Relationships. Putting the real in our relationships. As we look into real relationships, we're going to look at a biblical example, and we already read, of it, read it, David and Jonathan. Now, remember, last week I, I said that there's a tendency for people to just focus on romantic relationships. We're not focusing on a romantic relationship today. We're focusing on a platonic friendship between Jonathan and David. And while romantic relationships are important, I know Valentine's Day is tomorrow. Happy Valentine's Day to all you lovers and everybody who is in romantic relationships or family, friends. Remind people, tell them that you love them. That's an aside. While romantic relationships are important, you can still apply what we are going to do and talk through today to every relationship, friendships, family, romantic, whatever it is. So the story of David and Jonathan is an interesting one. Jonathan is the son of the king, of, uh, king Saul, King Saul of Israel. And if you know your biblical history, Saul is starting to fall out of favor with the Lord. He's doing some things. He ain't doing some things right. He's starting to think about himself. He's, be, he's being very self-centered and very, uh, it, there's some insecurity there that is popping up. So the, at some point, uh, um, David is seen and, and, and anointed as the next king of Israel, right? 
And, and now remember, the first time that we meet David in the Bible, how do we meet David? Most people know David not from when he's anointed by Saul, rather through the story of David and Goliath. That's where most people meet him. And you know that that is a story where, where David, this shepherd boy, right, this common folk, goes in and defeats the greatest warrior of the, of the, of the opposing army, of the enemy army. And after he beats Goliath, David gets called by Saul because Saul realizes what's going on. Saul sees, hey, you were able to do something that my men were afraid to do. So Saul has a really close and intimate conversation with David. And after that, the Bible tells us that Jonathan and David became close friends. And that really struck me. You see, because even though both of these boys were Israelites, they came from two different walks of life. In fact, you can make the argument that although David comes from this, uh, although it was victorious, David emerges out of conflict and war, while the other, Jonathan, emerges from luxury and status. David is the son of a, is a shepherd, the son of a common man. Jonathan is the son of the king. He's supposed to be the prince that's supposed to come next. By all intents and purposes, if Saul dies, uh, 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 Jonathan should next step up and be in the line to be king. They come from two different worlds, and yet what we realize the Bible says is that they become the closest of friends. And I want to say this to you as you go through and navigate through. Many times, the dearest relationships that we want, our most precious relationships, come in a form or fashion that is different from us, or come in a way that we would have never expected. We would have never thought that if we were choosing our friends, that this person would have been someone that we would have been walking with. And yet sometimes God moves in our lives, and particularly in the life of David, we saw that he can draw you close to people that you wouldn't be close to under any other circumstance. I want you to keep this in the back of your mind as we walk through and we jump through our points. Sometimes the real relationships that we are looking for come in a path or a pattern that is different from what you expect. Are you open and willing to the possibility that God may put a real relationship in your life that is different from what you want or intended? As you open up to that possibility, here are those three check, those items, those check boxes that I want you to keep about, keep in your mind as we look at real, putting the real back in our relationships. The first thing that I want you to look at, number one, intimacy. And we learn from the text, David and Jonathan valued closeness or intimacy in their friendship. This is so simple, but it's integral. As we read the story, right out of the gate, right from the beginning, Scripture points out the intimacy between David and Jonathan. When we read verses 1 through 4, we learn that these, these, these friends are nearly inseparable. In fact, after Jonathan meets David, Saul is so impressed that Saul has Jonathan, excuse me, David live in his house. David doesn't even go back to his father's house to live. He lives with Saul and Jonathan. Listen to what verse 3 says in 1 Samuel verse 18, verse 3. Listen. Jonathan made a covenant with David. 
Now, no, no, no. I know some of y'all are like, hold up, time out, wait a minute. I thought covenants are for marriage. Why is he making a covenant with his best friend? I thought covenants are for romantic relationships, right? When we're exclusive or when we're uh, heading down the path towards marriage or when we are married, like, I, I, and, and specifically when we go before God and we, and, we, and we bring our relationship to him, I thought those are covenants. Yes, marriage is a prime example of a covenant. It's a biblical covenant, and it is actually one of the, uh, is a sacrament, right? But we engage in covenant-based relationships all the time, and we don't even know it. What do you mean, Lionel? We engage in relationships where there are stipulations, where there are expectations, there are agreements, whether spoken or unspoken, and they happen all the time, and we don't even realize it. We engage in contractual relationships, right, with, with prof in, in professional sense, where the expectations are mutual. We have codes of conducts between friends, bro code. You know what that is. If you my bro, like if, if, we, if, if we down for each other, there are certain things that we do to maintain a sense of expectations and holding each other to a certain level. It could be about other friends. It could be about dating exes. It could be about holding each other accountable. I'm even reminded of street organizations, commonly known as gangs, that have a way of living and interacting with one another, which is often full of expectation. You see, entering into covenant in relationships helps build expectation between two people. The covenant made between David and Jonathan came from a place of deep love and admiration between Jonathan and David. And that's what it says in verse 3, the second part. It says, because he, Jonathan, loved him, David, just as much as he loved himself. Remember, Jonathan loved David just as much as as he loved himself. You see, one of the issues that I find is that when we enter into relationships with other people and we have expectations or we go into covenant, so to speak, with people that don't hold the same expectations as us, it often causes struggle. And the struggle that happens is a lot of times the people that we are entering into relationship in have a hard time loving themselves to begin with. They have a hard time knowing who they are. They have a hard time feeling care and compassion and love and concern for themselves. And it could be all great as you walk through the relationship, but at some point, at some place, if they don't have the love and care and concern for themselves, it's going to emerge in your interaction between the two of you. Understand where I'm going with this? Because if you care and concern, if you have care and concern for you, if you have care and love for yourself, you begin to understand what it means to love somebody else or how you can love somebody else. And because Dave, excuse me, Jonathan had that care and love for himself, remember the Bible says he loved himself, we see as we read through the scripture that Jonathan's true care for David was real and would come into play at a later date, Right? It would come into play at a really important time, not for Jonathan's sake, but for David's sake. Because Jonathan loved himself, he found it necessary to love and draw close to his friend David in the same way. 
And that created the grounds for true expect, uh, uh, the grounds for true friendship to occur. A friendship where, you know what? I love getting my back scratched, and I love making sure that I scratch my back and taking care of me. So when, I need, when you need me to scratch your back, I got you because I know what it feels like. I just need you, you to scratch my back when it's time because we have a mutual relationship. We have a mutual friendship. When I draw close to you, I need you to draw close to me because intimacy with myself, it's important to have intimacy with yourself. You know that some people are detached from their experience, from, detached from who they are, detached from their emotions, detached from what they go through. It's important to have intimacy with yourself. If you are intimate with what you are feeling and come to the knowledge of understanding who you are, you find it necessary to express and feel and share those things with other people and you value it with someone else in return. This is why the Bible says that they had a deep love, care, and admiration for each other. And I want to point something out. We often conflate, and, I, and some of you might be listening, we often conflate intimacy with sex. Two different things. Sexual intimacy and emotional intimacy are not one and the same. They can coexist and they can occur at the same time, but that does not mean that they are the same thing. Emotional intimacy is how close are you willing to get to me? How close are you willing to get to know me? How close are you willing to be close to me? How close are you willing for me for you to get to know who I am? How much am I willing to share with you? How much am I willing to give to you for you to know me and for I to know you? So I ask you the question, do you seek and value and prioritize intimacy when you are in or searching for relationships with other people? Do you? Do the people you seek to be in relationship with, do they value closeness? Are they willing to love you as you love themselves, as they love themselves? Are they bringing a sense of care and concern and compassion when you are in close relationship with them? Think about that. And, uh, and likewise, ask yourself the question, as you enter into relationships with people, not only do you look for intimacy with the person you're talking to, do you value intimacy enough that you are willing to give it to the person that you are walking in relationship with? Whether it's platonic, familial, or romantic, do you value intimacy? Ask yourself that question this morning. The Bible says this so clearly in Proverbs 18, verse 24. A person of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. That closeness only comes from intimacy. Okay, so say that word with me. Ready? Intimacy. If you're at home, say it with me. Say intimacy. So the next word that we're going to look at is honor. Say honor. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say it with your chest. Honor. Honor. Honor is the next word. And honor exists between David and Jonathan. And in fact, within their friendship, Jonathan honored David. What? How did he honor David? Let's walk it through. Ready? I, I want this to directly connect to that point of intimacy that we were talking about before. David, only, David and Jonathan not only enter into a deep friendship, but there is a display, a public show of honor towards David. Where do we see that? And, and what does that look like? What, what is even this concept of honor? Well, to make sure that we understand, honor is, in this context, defined as holding someone in high or great regard esteem or to pay public respect that is honor okay remember 
Jonathan is the prince. He's the son of Saul. He's the son of the king with nearly everything that he could want or have at his disposal. He is publicly regarded as the next heir to the throne, to the king of, to be king after his father Saul. So if he's the king, I mean, let's use it for example. We all see Blue Ivy. She doesn't shop at Marshall's. She has access to the world's most beautiful and expensive clothing because of who? Who her parents are. In this culture, Beyonce and Jay-Z are pretty much royalty, right? Whether you agree or disagree, that, that's what they are. Like, people revere them as such. And Blue Ivy, being their child, being their daughter, has access to the finest things, the finest clothing, the finest garbs. She has more style than, she has a, more style than some of us will ever have in our entire lives, right? And that's what we find with, 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 with Jonathan. Being the son, being the prince he has access to the finest linens, the finest clothing, and this robe that he has is made from those things. Now, the other side of the coin is nowhere in the Bible does it say that David didn't have clothes and was in need of a garment to cover himself. And yet, what we see in verse 4 is Jonathan takes off his robe. And it says, Jonathan took, took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David. That expensive robe, that priceless linen, he takes it off and he gives it to Jonathan. You see, this was a gesture of great honor and recognition. You hold such a special place in my life, David, that I'm going to give you this thing that owns, this, this thing that, that, has, that, that connotes power, that connotes a place that is seen in public regard as special and luxurious, I'm going to take it off and give it to you as an act of honor because I honor you. As we continue on, he continues to honor David in the rest of, of verse 4, and he says he also gave him his military clothes. He even gave him his sword, his bow, and his belt. He gives David his military gear and his weapons. This is also done as an act of Honor. Now understand where we're going with this. It is the posture of Jonathan's heart towards David that makes his gifts honorable, not the way around, other way around. You understand what I'm saying? It is how he felt towards David that made his gifts honorable, not the other way around. If I do something wrong to, to, to my wife, and I go and I get her, I don't know, let's say a Kit Kat. That's her favorite candy, a Kit Kat bar, right? I'm thinking of her, and I bring her a Kit Kat bar. I'm so sorry. Is it a nice gesture? Yes. Is it truly honorable, though? I'm trying to make amends. There's something that I require. There's something that I want out of that, relation, out of that interaction. What I want is for there to be some sort of connection and some sort of repair to whatever damage that was done so that way we can be in good relationship. I'm, I, I, of course I care about her. I love her. But at the end of it, there's something that I benefit from. I reap the benefits of giving her that Kit Kat bar because hopefully now, because she's eating chocolate and she's not upset with me and it tastes good, she might accept my apology. Right? These gifts that were given by David 
were tangible and they were a visible sign. But it wasn't done by Jonathan to kind of buy David's loyalty. Remember, David just killed Goliath and the Bible tells us that he was being held in high regard by Israel. So much so that he was rising in the ranks. So he could have given that thing to David because, yo, I see you popping, so I'm trying to get popping too. Even though I'm the prince, so here's my robe. If you popping, we popping, we popping together. But that's not what Jonathan wanted. It wasn't so that David could be indebted to Jonathan in the, in the future. He didn't give him that thing so that Jonathan can come back and say, yo, remember when I gave you my robe way back in the day? Yo, I need this favor from you. It wasn't so that David would owe Jonathan something. Jonathan honored David for who David was and because of the place, the intimate role that David played in Jonathan's life. I'm going to give this to you as a sign of our friendship, our relationship, how I feel towards you in response to who you are as a person, not what you can do for me. That honor led, led him to a place where he was willing to give everything that he had. You see, the issue that comes up for many of us in relationships as we look for the real is that people want to honor us. They want to honor you because of what you can do for them instead of who you are to them. They want to honor you because you have access. They want to honor you because you have resources. They want to honor you because you have relationships with other people. They want to honor you because you have power and vice versa. Sometimes we do the same thing. Sometimes we want to honor other people because they have access to things that we don't have. They have resources that we don't have. They have people that we don't know. They have power that we want and we want to honor people so we can tap into that. Honor should exist in your relationships because of who people are, not because of what they can do. People should honor you because of who you are, not because of what you are going to do for them. Not because of what you're capable of doing for them. Not because there's some sort of esteem that's connected to, 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 to who you are and access or power or they can benefit off of that. Sure, the benefit may come with it, but they must honor you first. Who you are and who God created you to be. Does this make sense to people? Y'all understand where I'm going with this? Sometimes that honor is given in material fashion. There are times where we honor people with a gift. I love you so much. I was thinking about you. You play such an important role in my life. You don't even know I was going to get this for you, but here you go. Just because I honor you. Boom. Sometimes people honor you with what the words they say or the things they do for you. But there needs to be honor in your relationships if they're going to be real. Can I get an amen, somebody? And lastly, so the first one was intimacy, right? The second one was honor. The next one is, ready, y'all going to say it with me. Say accountability. Oh, where y'all at? Say accountability. David and Jonathan were accountable to and for each other. What? How? I, 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 so I missed that in the verses that you read. We're going to put this together right now. Ready? Just stay with me right here. As we talked about briefly last week, Accountability is important, and we're going to dive a little bit into it right now. Real relationships cannot exist without a sense of true accountability. What is accountability? Well, accountability is the act of being held responsible for one's actions or well-being. I am accountable for the well-being of my child physically, emotionally, spiritually, right? My kids, I'm responsible for them. I'm held accountable for them. Now, as they grow, it shifts a little bit 
They become more accountable, more accountable, more accountable as they mature in faith and as they mature as, as, as young women. They become more accountable for their actions, right? And I still teach them to be accountable now, but as their father, I'm responsible for them. But even when they grow up, I personally believe that I'm still going to be accountable in some way, shape, or form. Even as adults. Now, I'm not going to be responsible for their mistakes, but in some way, shape, or form, I'm going to be held accountable. And as we read into the scripture, the Bible tells us over and over and over again to hold each other accountable. If someone is doing something out of lockstep, we must be willing to, to we must be willingly loving, lovingly willing to bring them back to God or bring it to their attention so they can be made aware. This also accounts for things that not only harm their relationship with God, but can harm themselves or other people. Sometimes we have this misconceived notion that, um, that it's just we only hold each other accountable for sin. There are times where we also hold each other accountable to keep each other from harm's way. Not everything that can harm you is necessarily sinful. I can make a decision to, to move to a place, to go somewhere, to do something, and it may not be sinful, but there could be harm on the other side of that. Not because of my sin, but because of the imperfection of the world. And if we are accountable to each other, we are accountable to each other to make sure that not only we hold each other from sin, but we do our best to make sure that our brother and our sister is safe and well. Emotionally, spiritually, physically. You understand where I'm going with this this morning, y'all? So, so, so I, I want to bring this to your attention. If you grew up in certain neighborhoods where, and I'm going to use strength-focused language, where people resolve disagreements with a physical sense of resolution, if you catch my drift, where people are fighting, right? And you was with your friend, there's a code of conduct if your friend gets approached and there's about to be a physical altercation. If I'm with my buddy and I'm with my boy, there's typically three options, especially if he's about to get jumped. It's one, are you gonna jump in and defend your boy and make sure that either A, he gets out of it, or B, y'all both get beat up and y'all get beat up together. B, are you gonna pull him out of that fight? Are you going to pull him away and drag him to safety? Or C, are you going to sit there, cheer him on, and hope he wins or she wins? There's also another option. D, are you going to see the fight happening and you run away? Right? All these king things come from the notion of what? If I'm walking and this is my man's, this is my boy, if I'm, a, I'm accountable to him. At the end of that fight, what would have happened? Yo, wh whoa, where was you? What'd you do? You saw what happened? Other people are gonna ask you a question. Yo, what happened? You let that happen to your mans? Where were you? You see, God reminds us that we are accountable for each other. You see, when God approaches Cain after Cain killed his brother, even though God knew that Cain killed his brother, you know what God says to Cain? 
Cain, where's Abel? Where is he? Where'd he go? God knew what happened, but yet God keeps him accountable. God asks him the question, that's your man's. Where'd he go? Where is he safe? How's he doing? And Cain responds and has to give a response about Abel's well-being. Now, you know how Cain responds. Cain actually says, am I my brother's keeper? Which tells you the story of how he felt about his brother's well-being. Jonathan displays the utmost care and concern for David's well-being. You see, in chapter 20 of the same book of 1 Samuel, Jonathan learns that Saul, his own father, wants to kill David, and he believes that David is under a threat. Uh, uh, Saul believes that David is a threat to the throne, and he's jealous of David's popularity. So Saul decides that he's going to take things into his own hands, and he's going to kill David which is a reminder as we talk about real relationships. Remember, David is living in Saul's home, and Saul wants to kill him. Sometimes the biggest threat in relationships is not the people that are outside, but the people that are inside. We'll talk about that another time. When Jonathan finds out, he immediately tells David, yo, my dad is trying to kill you. And to make a long story short, they devise this whole plan to confirm whether Saul is trying to kill David or not. And listen to what happens in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 20. This is Jonathan and David talking when they devise this plan to find out if Saul's trying to kill David. So Jonathan made a covenant with his friend, uh, made a covenant of friendship with, his, with David and his family. He said, may the Lord hold David's enemies responsible for what they've done. Jonathan had David promise his friendship again because he loved him. And in fact, Jonathan loved David just as he loved himself. There goes that covenant again. There goes that intimacy again. There goes that honor again. And it goes so far that Jonathan, in, in a way, confronts his father he says, yo, dad, I hear you're trying to kill, you're trying to kill Saul. Saul actually confirms that he's trying to kill, da excuse me, S dad, you're trying to kill David. Saul actually confirms to Jonathan that he's trying to kill David and takes it a step further. Gets upset that Jonathan is on David's side and tries to kill his own son. Saul tries to kill Dave, uh, 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 Jonathan. And at that point, Jonathan says, I know what's up. My boy's life is in danger. I'm responsible. I know what's happening. I know what's going on. I got to keep him accountable. I got to make sure he's safe. I'm accountable for something. If, if something happens to him, I have to tell David, you need to get to safety. So Jonathan warns David and he gives him time and space to escape his father and head to safety. You see, accountability in relationships will drive you to care and react on the behalf of the holistic well-being of other people. It makes you elevate the well-being, the emotional well-being, the physical well-being, the spiritual well-being, the mental well-being of the person that you are walking with and vice versa. If you are accountable for someone, they care about you mentally, they care about you physically, they care about you emotionally, they care about you mentally, they care about you in every sense of the word. Because if I'm walking with you, I have to give a response of what's happening to my brother. I have to give a response of what's happening to my sister. I believe that I have to give a response if I know something that's going on in, in someone's life and I don't do something, I don't hold them accountable, I don't try to get in and step in and help them amend it. I believe that when we get to heaven, God's going to be like, well done, my good and faithful servant. What happened here? 
You could have intervened. You could have stepped in, but you didn't. What happened? Y'all, let me say this one time and one time again. Accountability means that we are willing to step in and warn someone of danger, warn someone of sin, and keep them from going in harm's way. Look at this trajectory as we close today. You ready? You saw this. Ready? If I am intimate with you and I honor you, I'm willing to hold you accountable. If I'm intimate with you and I honor you, I keep your well-being at the forefront of my mind. If I'm intimate with you and I honor you, then when something is going wrong, I'm willing to step in and confront it. If you're intimate with me and you honor me, when you see something happening, you're willing to step in and intervene. This is the foundation for real in our relationships. So today, as we close, as we finish, I want to say to you, are you looking for real in your relationships? If so, are they intimate? Are they, are, are, they, are, they, are they honoring? Is there honor? And do they, does accountability exist? Are you close? Are you willing to draw near? Are you willing to elevate and uplift? And are you willing to hold them accountable when the time is right? Do you care about their safety and well-being? I encourage you this morning to examine your current relationships. Examine if there's intimacy. Examine if there's honor. And examine if there's accountability. Now, it looks different in every relationship. You're not going to be as close to your wife as you might be to a friend. You might not be as close to your brother as you are to a cousin or vice versa. There are different boundaries and things ebb and flow and things look different, but we need to know that the foundation of intimacy, honor, and accountability exists. If it is a relationship that you know that God is calling you to and a relationship that is designed to transform you. 